Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring, boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. What goes through your mind when Skip comes over to you in the dugout? Uh, I mean, a lot of emotion. You know, my heart was just going. I mean, from when he said, you're, you're hidden. I mean, it was, everything just started to freaking go. It was, it was like, you know, the lights were brighter. Um, you know, I was trying to, I was finally looking for my glasses. I was making sure I had everything. And then, I mean, just trying to get ready for the moment, trying to slow everything down, trying to take deep breaths. Um, and yeah, just be ready for, uh, for that first pitch. Was it anything like you anticipated, Drew, or did it surprise Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was way more than I expected. Um, I mean, I didn't even know what to do when they started chanting my name. I, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to, like, take off my helmet or I was, like, waiting to get on the, in the box. I, I mean, I, yeah, it was overwhelming for me. I was uh, trying to focus on the AB, but also, like, trying to really, you know, enjoy the moment, too. There was just, yeah, there was a lot of, lot going on in my, in my mind, and I mean, it was just, it was the coolest thing I, I could ever imagine. I mean, it was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. How can you not listen to that and realize baseball isn't boring? How can you do that? You can't. It's science. It's not physically possible. That was, of course, Pittsburgh Pirates rookie, yes, rookie, 33-year-old rookie, Drew Maggi. Drew Maggi finally got his chance after 13 seasons, after 1,154 minor league games, after 4,494 plate appearances in the minors. Yes, he got to step up with a third and fourth deck in a major league stadium and be a major league hitter. 
And you heard him right there. You heard him right there. So good for him. And maybe a little bit later in the day, we'll we'll resurface Rich Hill, our good friend Rich Hill, his teammate with the Pirates, talking about what it felt like for what it feels like to have that major league moment, to have that major league uh, debut. And it's different for everybody. Obviously, some guys get there sooner than others, and other guys get there uh, after 1,154 games in the minor leagues. Pirates continue to roll. I implore everybody to go back and listen to yesterday's podcast when you get a chance. Rich Hill just breaking down what the Pirates are all about. I don't know if you know this. They won again. Eight and one. They're still at the top of the American League Central. Great, great story. Speaking of great stories, another sneaky great story. The Arizona Diamondbacks, one of our other picks to click here on Baseball Isn't Boring. Tori Lovello, Mike Hazen, both have been on the podcast in recent months. But today, we're talking about Zach Gallon. Well, right now, we're talking about Zach Gallon. Zach Gallon, as we said, maybe sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. I think we said this in yesterday's podcast. Him and uh, Strider of the Atlanta Braves, Spencer Strider, they both may be the two best pitchers that I don't think people realize are the two best pitchers. Well, we highlighted Strider yesterday. Today, Zach Gallen, he ran his scoreless streaks to 28 innings. 28 innings. So understand like what he's doing, what the Diamondbacks are doing. They're atop the American League West. Good for Tori Lovello, good for Mike Hazen, good for friends of the program. But Zach Gallen, we heard it. We heard it from Lovello. You know, one of the – actually, we heard that Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves GM – thought Strider was one of the best pitchers, maybe the best pitcher he's ever been around. And the same words came in the same description when it came to Zach Gallon from his GM, Mike Hazen, Toy Lovello. So there you go. A lot going on in baseball. We aren't going to get to the White Sox. Sorry, White Sox. We had on Matt Spiegel earlier in the, earlier in the week to bemoan the, the problems of the White Sox and nothing has changed. So maybe we'll loop back with him uh, next week just to uh, maybe the win. Who knows? But definitely the most disappointing team. The the godfather of this podcast, uh, Joe Kelly, he he has yet to pitch coming off the injured list and he is part of that equation. So maybe we'll have him come on. Maybe after a win. After a White Sox win, we'll have Joe come on. Because one of the other things I want to hear from Joe. And I was texting with him a little bit last night. Um, I was I was trying to explain to him what happened in Baltimore, and I and I'm actually in Baltimore covering the series there. And as I surfaced, the Red Sox relievers were upset on Tuesday night. They were sprayed with, according to them, they were sprayed with beer. Um, one participant of the bullpen got spit on by a fan. Uh, so they were all riled up. I know that Richard Blyer um, had some quotes to Julian McWilliams of the Globe about it. Uh, I think a couple other outlets might have talked to, uh, to Blyer as well. But, you know, as I surfaced on Tuesday night when I tweeted that out, uh, there was that I, I don't remember seeing relievers that upset over something that happened. And, and the dynamic of the bullpen and fans deserves its own podcast. There's not even a question. And this is why I said I want to talk to Joe about because. Joe, in a damn near perfect game, the book that you should go buy right now. By the way, great appearance. Go and listen you get a chance with Jeff Blair, Kevin Barker on uh, up in Toronto on the radio. Um, if you want to 
here or you want to read about the dynamic when it comes to the bullpen and fans, Joe has a great anecdote about, well, a couple of them actually, but one in Yankee Stadium after he had the whole uh, um, Tyler Austin fight. And he's in the Yankees bullpen, and he talks about how what you know he said these guys they were definitely in gangs. They're giving the finger guns to him, say I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. And you know the the cops are right there, and that dynamic with the the cops, how many cops you have, and from what I understand, the Yankee Stadium bullpen is surrounded by cops. So it's not like you have just this this wave. Of uh, I'm sorry, it's not like you have like no security out there. Why everyone's chirping? Because some bullpens, the fans can get a lot closer than others. But you know, he talks a lot about like going back and forth, and the, these guys saying, "I'll meet you at the bus." It's like, okay, let's go, so forth and so on. And on this podcast with uh, Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker out, out in Toronto, they asked Joe about this uh, dynamic with the Blue Jays bullpen. I get, so the new Blue Jays bullpen is very, to say, fan-friendly. So here's what Joe said about the new Blue Jays bullpen, because this is some good bullpen talk, right? The Detroit Tigers, shall we say, did not necessarily enjoy their experience uh, at, at, at the Rogers Center with the, with the fans. What's it been like for you guys out there? these two nights because you're pretty close to them now and i've got to think that uh, <laughs> i've got to think that you know you might have spoken to a few people oh yeah i love it man i fan interaction is one of my favorite things to do and, and it's good when when someone pops off and they don't expect you to pop off back and then they're embarrassed in front of their friends <laughs> so it's good clean fun um you know i think that the 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 new renovations here are are, are beautiful you know you could ask every single guy in our bullpen um, congratulations, Toronto! You guys have the number one bullpen in the league now. Um, it is a, uh, it is insanely, it is insanely great. And you know, there's an upstairs, there's a downstairs. You're close to the fans. Um, it, it, it's just done well. It's just done well. And and I think, uh, you know, how how fast they did it. We we asked that yesterday. Like, how the hell did they do this so fast? Um, but no, it, it's great. And I think uh, any time where you can be close to the fans as a bullpen guy. Um, you know, it, it makes the games, the ups and downs of the game go on a little bit easier when you can, you know, kind of communicate. All right. So there you go. I mean, this is going to be a, a continuing conversation. Go back to the Orioles situation or Camden Yards. When I tweeted that out on Tuesday night, it, it's funny because everyone gets so riled. Everyone gets so protective of their team, of their fan base. And I get it. I understand that. But what you have to understand, like any time that an incident happened, and believe me, living in and going through the Boston sports world, nobody understands this better than us, is that when someone criticizes or something that happened in a stadium, you're not criticizing the fan base. You, sh- you shouldn't be anyway. There's a couple of morons, a couple of meatheads who do stupid things. That is not representative of the entire fan base. I can tell you that going in Camden Yards is like one of the friendliest environments. It's a great environment. Camden Yards is one of my favorite places to be. Just because of a couple knuckleheads, you know, that doesn't paint the picture of the entire group of people or the entire fanboy base. And unfortunately, on social media, people take it that way. And like, how dare you say this? How dare you say that? There's nothing you can do. People are going to feel how they feel. That's, that's how it is. But it is interesting how, you know, I know that on Wednesday, 
there was a lot more security out there than there was on Tuesday night. So there you go. Maybe maybe we're we're changing, we're evolving the amount of security around bullpens. Thanks to the baseball isn't boring, Bram. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's not what we uh, really the, the meat and potatoes of this podcast is all about. But thanks everyone for rating, reviewing, reviewing, listening, subscribing. Huge T-shirt news coming. Thanks to Swing Juice. Huge t-shirt news. Go to at BB isn't boring, Twitter, Instagram. But what we, uh, what the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about today is today is NFL Draft Day. Yes, NFL Draft Day. Um, and so we are going to talk about the draft. I always found it interesting about the comparing the NFL draft and NBA, uh, MLB draft. And of course, you never are going to be able to, to replicate it. The MLB draft has done their darndest to figure this out, to figure out, to get some buzz. Now they do it at the All-Star Game. July 9th is the, is the draft. Set around the All-Star Game out in Seattle. They do it. They do a big event. They did it last year. Um, so they're trying. They're trying. The, the problem is, is that these players, number one, people haven't seen play like NFL play, uh, prospects, and number two, aren't going to contribute right away like NFL prospects. That's the problem. NFL draft just is different. It just is. That's basically saying that's the equivalent of MLB free agency, where this is the guy you're getting to help your team next year. That's it. With MLB. This is the guy that's coming to help your team in four or five years. That's that's usually what what the case is. But, 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 because it's the NFL draft today, I did want to talk draft about that dynamic. The As we said, July 9th, that's coming up. So I sat down with Red Sox president of baseball. Oh, I'm sorry. Red Sox chief baseball officer, Heim Bloom, who's been on the podcast a few times. And I just talked to him about the preparation of the draft, comparing the two drafts, the NFL draft, comparing like how, you know, when you have baseball players who play football, football players who may play baseball. I just thought it was a timely thing to sit down and talk to Heim about, and, and he was good as always. Um, so on draft day, we want to give you some draft talk. That's what we do. But once again, thank you, everybody. Evan O'Brien, great job producing. Uh, doing all the go to the, all the socials, the, go to the, see the quote cards, the daily videos that he's putting out about why baseball isn't boring. It's, it should scratch right where you itch. All of it. So once again, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, listen. We appreciate everything. Here's how I'm blown. So what is it like to get ready to get trapped? Yeah, I mean, it. It's really. When you think about everything that goes into it, it's really a multi-year process. Mm. Uh, a lot of the players that we're going to be spending a lot of time on this spring, our staff has been on for a long time. And even when you're scouting players for the current year, you're starting to build history, build process with players that are going to be in the draft in the years to come. Um, you know, The spring is really important for all these guys, but whether you're a high school player or college player, uh, you know, the summer is, is also really important and you know all that stuff is in the books already so there's a lot that happens even before we get to this point of really ramping up uh, for July I, I look at football when football teams make acquisitions a lot of times you see a guy like oh well you know it hasn't quite worked out but out of nowhere they acquire him same thing with baseball I, and I wonder if the similarities are there in terms of like you said you have scouted a guy so for so long 
and then he goes through whatever he goes through and you're like oh i remember that and that's we see the good in that because he was a stud in high school or something i mean i those in both leagues i think it works that way doesn't it yeah i mean you know it's hard for me to speak to other sports yeah. uh with you know i just don't have enough context but you know, I, I think a basic understanding. I think the interesting thing right now in baseball is, uh, in some cases, you know, if somebody was very much on the prospect radar as an amateur early in their pro career and then fell off, those players probably tend to get uh, more looks as they go through mm. their careers than others. Uh, fair or unfair, that's often how it works. But in baseball, a lot of what we see is, you know, guys come seemingly from out of nowhere because, you know, whether on their own or whether with the aid of you know, coaching and development staffs, they make adjustments that they, they get to become a better version of themselves. I think that does happen in other sports. You know, oftentimes, at least from what I can tell from the outside, you see like in football, for instance, you know, a player may not fit well in one scheme and fit perfectly well in another scheme. Baseball's a little more individual as far as, especially the pitcher, pitcher-batter confrontation. But players make alterations all the time just to become better versions of themselves. And that can happen really at any point in a player's career. The raw talent, you know, who you are is, you know, some of that is baked in. But finding that path to the best version of yourself, that can happen at any point. One of the things that's different, obviously, in the two leagues is that is that you have to go through this leading up to the draft. You're in the middle of a season. You know, the NFL isn't. Um, how, I've always been sort of wondering and, and fascinated by like how you juggle that. Like you're thinking about the here and the now, the results of the major league team, results of the minor league teams, and then you have to maybe go out. I mean, have you got a good, better handle of that as has gone on? I mean, that doesn't seem like an easy thing. Yeah, well, there, there's two things I would say about that. One is just that you know a lot of it is uh, you know that's why you know, we have the staff that we do. Um, we have a lot of people. Um, whether they're out in the field as scouts uh, or based you know, out of Fenway, who focus on this process all year long and that this is their main focus. Uh, the rest of us obviously have to figure out how to allocate our time, but we are so reliant on you know the work done by the folks who focus on this year round um, and our scouting staffs, really. And they are doing the work that puts us in position you know, but you want to see him. Draft days. Yeah. I mean, especially like the, yeah. the, the, the main guy. We right? follow it throughout that process, you know, from a little more of a distance. And then as we get closer and closer, um, you know, we obviously, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're responsible for everything that comes out of this department. Uh, you know, our, our leadership team and I. So we need to make sure that we feel good about all the decisions we're making. But if you're doing a good job on this, you have a scouting department that understands philosophically what we're trying to accomplish and that they're carrying out that philosophy every day. It's really no different from all the individual jobs that anybody in this department does. It really all should flow back up to you know, principles and philosophies and goals that we have as a group that people are each having their own piece of the pie in. The other thing I would say to your original question is because of the journey through the minor leagues, the impact that these players out of the draft have on our major league club is almost never immediate. We rarely see that anymore. Um, and in most cases, takes years. So it's a lot going on to do it during the season, obviously, but we're not looking in the draft with an eye towards how did this player fit the roster we have right now. We're really looking to use all our picks and our entire bonus pool to bring the most talent into the organization. Mm-hmm. 
so that we have that pipeline going because we know it's going to be likely years until these players reach the major leagues and we just want to infuse the organization with talent so that we have options as, as we you know, work our way through this. I would imagine the anxiety is when you have a top pick, when you have the, you know, in the case of a couple of years ago, you had the fourth pick compared to, say, whatever, you know, middle rounds. You're happy to have any pick, and you're happy to have good players, but the anxiety of having the top pick, plus anxiety might be the wrong word, but there's a lot of pressure, right, to hit on that. Yeah, I, you know, when we when we were in that situation a couple of years ago, you know, in that moment, it's an awesome opportunity. Now, what has to happen for you to get that pick is not something that we, mm-hmm. you know, want to live uh, anytime soon. Um, and hopefully, you know, we are picking near the bottom of the round because it means we did what we're trying to do during the regular season. But this is, as we know, there's there's science to it, but there's also a lot of art. And stars mm-hmm. come from everywhere in the draft. The odds are better the higher you go in the draft, but they come from everywhere. Uh, so you have to treat each pick uh, as as precious and put full effort into mm-hmm. the process that goes into every pick. That's one of the cool things uh, as you're preparing for the draft. Uh, the detail, the, the the amount of detail, the amount of work that goes into seeing these players. Uh, obviously, it's going to be more for somebody that you're considering at number four in the country than that you might take on the third day of the draft. But there's still a ton of work that goes into the picks that you make. There really needs to be. A, the, if, if your scouting staff does not do that work, it's really hard to key in on that player. And so that's why when you see players having success in the big leagues that were late-round picks, uh, even though we're early-round picks, uh, that's why the scouting staff takes a lot of pride in it is because, mm. you know, you can say, well, of course, you know, this pick was obvious, but, you know, it's never like that when you're making it. And if, if you're the scouting director, to be able to make that pick, you have to feel like your staff did the homework. I'm going to date myself with this example, um, but this goes back to 2003, 2002. Aaron Hill. So J.P. Ricciardi was the GM of Toronto, and they knew they liked Aaron Hill, but they didn't want to let everybody know that they liked Aaron Hill, so they called it the Claude Rains Project, the Invisible Man, right? So there's how much of that is goes on with the gamesmanship about, you know, obviously it's like, hey, you don't maybe want to be seen here, or, or you talk, and people are talking, oh, yeah, I heard, saw them. How much of that is going on? There is still some of that. Um I think less as time has gone on, at least throughout the course of my career, for a couple of reasons. One, players get a lot more exposure now just because there's this sort of prospect industrial complex that exists around these kids. Uh, So they're all, you know, they they all get a lot of exposure now. People understand that there's, I don't think there's the same signaling effect as there used to be for a scouting director, uh, you know, an assistant GM or a GM to go see a player Mm -hmm. as, as there was maybe when my career was just starting out. Um, you know, the other thing is that it's not like it is in you know, the NFL draft. Picks can be traded at any time. So it, the intel of who is going to be taken around when you pick could be really, really important. It could be the difference between deciding you need to trade up to get the player you want mm-hmm. versus waiting for him to fall in your lap. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. And so there's not as much value uh, to that. There isn't really the same jockeying for position. You know, there's a little bit of that sometimes with signability situations, but th- there isn't the same with the picks, you know, being locked. Mm-hmm. Do you, since we're morphing the two, uh, do you remember a football player that you drafted? Like, for instance, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. The Red Sox drafted this kid, Jeff Driscoll, who was, you know, he was uh, ended up being a quarterback. 
but they drafted him. And he, I don't think he had played a lot of baseball, but he had played baseball at some point. So there you go. Do you remember in your experience having drafted someone? You're like, oh, that is that that person might be wrestling with football versus baseball, which we know which sport is better. Yeah, I'm trying to think in recent years. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I don't think it's something that we've. I tell you what, Shane Drohan. Uh, Ooh, was a, my guy. The, yeah, out of out of high school, you know, was a was a real legit quarterback. Uh, pro- yeah, really was a prospect. Um, but obviously, it was a little bit of a different situation. I'm sure. And and we had a couple in the years I was with the Rays. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Like you talk about, you know, obviously sometimes guys that have options in multiple sports. Yeah. Um, we're always trying to get them to baseball, but sometimes I think for that player, it really should be about them finding the sport where they're going to do the best. And I remember very distinctly when I was at the Rays seeing, um, you know, Shaq Thompson in yes. rookie ball. I was going to bring him up. Yeah. And uh, obviously <laughs> had a rough go of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I happened to about see o- the o- And this isn't a knock on him, but no, over o- 38, yeah. I think, with and like I, 36 strikes. I happened to see one of the balls he put in play. I was there for that <laughs> sure, one yeah. day uh, in the GCL. <laughs> and, you know, this guy goes to the NFL, and he's a legit NFL player. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure vice versa. There's there's guys that, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to succeed in the NFL that found baseball to be the right sport for them. So it's really about finding the right sport for you. If you are that kind of athlete that you actually have options in both sports, first of all, to, to, be, to do that, you have to be a really good athlete. Yeah. Um, and it just, that's why I think we have some of the reverence that we do. You know, for the Brian Jordans and the Deion Sanderses oh, and the, especially Bo Jackson you to be able to play two sports at the highest level at both. I mean, it's unbelievable. And really, the athleticism. So, and so you said when you have a guy, and leverage comes into this too, right? I'll give you another name. This jump, Casey Kelly. Remember Casey Kelly, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Casey Kelly was a guy who was could have been the Tennessee quarterback which is a pretty good deal right and he ends up signing with the red sox um to be pitcher shortstop we don't know what but but there's cases where for the for the players leverage and and you have to figure out is that leverage or are they just are they using his leverage or is it a real thing yeah that they don't know what they're gonna do yeah and you know that's that's part of we, you know, we go back to talking about the work that the scouting staff puts in that's part of really knowing the guy and sometimes you can think you know the guy and uh, he may be on a path where he continues to do both and he might surprise you. You know, sometimes you don't necessarily know. You know, it's the same thing in our sport. Sometimes the two-way players, you don't necessarily know which way it's going to go. Um, but hopefully, you know, you at least have all the information that's possible to have going in where you do your homework. You understand what makes this guy tick. The fact of the matter is because, you know, we have this journey through the minor leagues. It's not for everybody. You have to really want it. Um, and you have to be really able to handle even though you want it handle the fact that this is a game of failure in a lot of ways there's going to be failure in players journeys um and you have to be able to handle that be willing to stick with it through that failure and that's hard and you just saying that like thinking about it thinking about like the kids who are going to be drafted in the nfl the kids who are drafted in the nba this immediate gratification world that we live in that's a hard sell you know for a lot of these kids no matter what the money is i would imagine yeah I, there's there's these saying there's this, you hear the saying in different ways about that to really overcome like a challenge you have to, to conquer it you have to love it mm-hmm. and I think there is something to that um, you know obviously I don't think it's necessarily true for everybody there are guys that might be able to succeed without being fully invested good for them but I don't think that's the case for yeah. most people who walk this earth so 
you know, knowing what makes a player tick, that's such a huge part of, of the scouting staff's job. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these guys are 18 or 21. They're not, you know, they're going to change as they grow as people. Mm-hmm. But knowing as much as you possibly can now about someone even at that age mm-hmm. is huge. To, to more so than ever, draft, probably, right? right? I think so. And there's yeah. so many more things that, uh, you know, so much more noise in these guys' lives. Like even as amateurs, certainly mm-hmm. as they go through pro ball. And then obviously it's something that when you play in Boston, you need to, you need to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of, I think, doing a good job and having a good process on a player. It's not just understanding the player and being able to quantify X, Y, and Z about what he can do on the field, but having a pretty good idea of who this person is. Well, it's two and a half months left. I hope I get the, the juices going. Thank you. Yeah.